So today, we finish our listening, summer of listening. We have been going through the summer, the pastoral rotation. Um, I know has confused many of you. Some of you may have gone into the sanctuary today and seen Daryl, Dr. Daryl Smith wearing a suit. That's right. I'll give you a moment if you want to run down there right now to see Dr. Daryl in the one suit that he owns because he is preaching in, in the big house. Um, it is awesome. Uh, but uh, so the, the pastoral rotation ha- has maybe confused. It's confused me. I've never known really where I am um, all that often. Um, but I am happy to be back here in New Heights where um, where th- this is you're my people. And so I- I'm happy that um, I'm happy that summer was here. I'm very happy that school is back in. So I, I am I will be here um, for the duration um, as far as I can see. But uh, until Jesus comes and gets me, maybe. No. Okay. So uh, the summer of listening has been this great summer of, uh, and, and so I don't know what, all of what you have heard. I know the topics, but it's, for me, it's been this great summer of, uh, the, for some reason, the topics that I've been given and the different places in which I've been given them to or talked to, uh, they've been really kind of um, the risque people of the world. I, I've gone in the sanctuary and I've talked about um, a woman who pretended to be a prostitute so that she could sleep with her father-in-law, you know, because that's, you know, like the Brady Bunch. Um, and then the, the next time I was in the sanctuary, I was uh, preaching on a, uh, a woman who was indeed a prostitute, in fact, a, a madam um, of an entire house of prostitutes and and how that uh, her actions kind of saved the entire faith and brought forth Jesus. Um, And then and then the last time I was in there, I got to speak about the woman at the well uh, last week who really wasn't a very, um, you know, your girl next door type of character. Either. And so it's very ironic that I guess that David, um, every time I was in there, he like gives me these, these women. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're trying to tell me, Dave. You know, I mean, do you think I hang out with these people? Are you, are you insulting me or are you praising me? I don't know which one. Or am I the only one who's willing to take these women with me into the sanctuary? And, and that's where I landed was that I was the only one who was willing to do that. Um, and, and, but, but what it's done for me is it's really opened my eyes where, where God is calling me and us are to those people. Um, and I use the term those people on purpose. Um, because I think that's where God calls all of us is to those people. That's the great thing about God is, is God's like, hey, you may not be comfortable with this, but I'm okay with it, so let's go. You know who had a really big problem with this kind of thing? Peter. Peter was this guy who, if you remember, he was, by Jesus, said, you're the rock, Caiaphas, you're, you're, you're my guy. You're going to be the one when I'm gone to lead all the rest of these guys and and build the church. You're the one. You're the one I'm putting in charge. This is Peter who, if you remember the stories, um, when Jesus is walking out to them on the water and they're all like, whoa, it's a ghost. No way. It's Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, come out. And Peter's like, okay. He gets out of the boat and he walks on water. Right? He walks on water and then he begins to look around. He takes his eyes off the Lord and he sinks and Jesus reaches out and grabs him. And the same Peter who um, 
Jesus says, hey, you know, for the end of the night, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, 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 no. Never, Lord. I'm with you wherever you go. Sure enough. Hey, aren't you with that Jesus guy? Jesus? I, I don't know what you're talking about. No, never seen him before. Peter, this guy who was so on fire for God. Given the gift of the Spirit, and he speaks in tongues and just eloquently delivers the gospel message so that so many people believed. He was just just right out there leading the disciples, continuing to send them out to do things and to go to places. In fact, in chapter 9 of Acts, Peter himself is out and he's going around this, uh, this area and he's healing people. And then healing people wasn't enough for him. There's a woman whose name is Dorcas, one of the best names in the scripture. <laughs> Love Dorcas. Somebody's like, there's Dorcas's in my family. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with the name. I think it's a great name, but get over it. Brings Dorcas back from the dead. She's gone. Peter raises her from the dead. This guy is on fire. And yet, there are those people to him. There are some people that Peter doesn't think should get access to the same type of things that he has. See, Peter's a Jew, good Jew, really good Jew. From his birth, he is following the different things, the different uh, rules and regulations, the different ways in which you are supposed to be a Jew. And there's a lot of them. He sees his rabbi do the same. And so when his rabbi is gone and he is charged with advancing the kingdom of heaven, he does so in a way that a Jew knows. Jewishly. And so the people who are outside of this, he's like, yeah, no. Until one day on the top of a roof. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the city, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. Never, Lord, Peter declared. I've never in all my life eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. The voice spoke again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. The same vision was repeated three times, and the sheet was pulled up again into heaven. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, see, what's going on here in my mind are a couple of things. One, in chapter 9, when I said that uh, Peter was going around this area of Joppa, where he is, and he's healing all of these people, and he brings back this woman from the dead, at the same time, uh, Paul, Saul at the time, is on his way to go persecute some more Christians. He's given these orders. Saul, as you know, Paul, as you know, is this Jew of Jews. He was trained by the best, um, the, the Harvard of rabbis, if you will. He knows his stuff. He's given the task of carrying out these persecutions of people who, uh, of these Jews who believe in Jesus. He's very good at it. 
On his way, Jesus stops him. He's blinded. He goes, hey, Saul, dude, why? What's up, man? Why are you persecuting me? He meets Jesus. It's his literally come to Jesus moment, right? He goes in. He's blind for a few days. This guy Ananias comes in. He's like, I'm not going to pray for him. God's like, go pray for him. He goes in and he prays for him. His eyes are lifted. He understands. He becomes the most vocal voice going into all places where no disciple would go to share the gospel message with people. He's on fire. They take him into Jerusalem. And they introduce him to the apostles and the disciples. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he shares his story with them. And they get all giddy and it's exciting and wonderful. And here's Paul. Yay, we're so happy because they all knew who he was already. But now Jesus has found him and they see where he's going. Except for Peter because Peter wasn't there. And my translation says, meanwhile, Peter's out in, you know, I love that. Just meanwhile, back at the farm, Peter's bringing someone from the dead. Peter's not there. He doesn't have this encounter, this experience with Paul. Maybe because he wasn't ready. God's like, well, I got to do some work on you, man, because I know where you stand. I know that you have some big issues with people who are outside of the Jewish faith coming in. And then there's this guy, Cornelius. Cornelius is this Roman officer in the city of Caesarea. Caesarea is north of Joppa, where Peter finds himself, about 30 miles on the coast. And this guy Cornelius is in charge, uh, he's a Roman officer in charge of a big group of people, and he's kind of a big deal, an important guy. He's a God-fearer, it says in the scripture. He prays all of the time. He gives alms. He supports people who can't support themselves. N.T. Wright says it this way, that he has his nose on the glass, just pressing, looking in. I want in, I want in, I want in. But because he's not a Jew, he can't get in. So he's doing these things. In fact, it says at 3 o'clock he goes to pray. It would have been a very Jewish time to go pray. So he's going through all of these motions, all of these motions, and yet he keeps running into that glass wall. Open, open, open. But then he hears about this guy named Peter. God says, hey, There's a guy, his name's Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner down in Joppa. Send for him. He's going to teach you some stuff. So get this in your mind. Cornelius is a pretty powerful guy in the region. He is in charge of a lot of Roman soldiers. He wants to know more about God. He's sending for a Jew. Okay. Not that, maybe not that big of a deal for him. Now let's go to the other side. And Peter. Peter is probably at this point really well known, especially around this area. I mean, he's been healing people. He's brought Dorcas back from the dead. I mean, I know that they didn't have uh, Instagram and stuff, so it probably wasn't like a selfie of him and Dorcas. You know, she's alive again. Click. You know, there's not that kind of stuff. But you bring somebody back from the dead, people are going to talk. Word's going to travel. Did you hear about Peter? Did you hear about that? People are going to know who this guy is. When a Roman official comes to your door and you're a Jew, not a good thing. So Peter finds himself on the top of his roof and he's praying. And he goes into this trench, and, and God lowers this sheet. And he has all these different animals on it. He says, kill 
and eat. Peter's like, well, no, 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 no. I know my scripture well enough that these are unclean. There's, you, you're testing me again. This is that water. You're just still the denial thing. You're still getting me back for that, right? And God says, there, there was a debate, by the way, in pastors meeting about uh, whether or not this was God speaking or an angel speaking. I prefer to think that this was God speaking because it puts God in the place of a professional athlete speaking of himself in third person, which makes me laugh. God says, if God says something is clean, who are you to say it's unclean? Peter's like, uh, never mind. She goes away. She comes down again. More animals. Kill and eat. No, 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 no. I'm not going to touch anything that's unclean. If God says something clean, who are you to say it's unclean? Oh, yeah, you're right. She goes away. She comes down again. Three times this happens. Now, there's something going on here that Dr. Daryl pointed out to us that I think is really cool. Luke is walking, is paralleling the stories of Jonah and Peter right here. Both of them start from the town of Joppa. Same town. Both of them are called to go to Gentiles. Both of them don't want to do it. Jonah is swallowed into a fish or a well, so whatever you want to call it, for three days until he is regurgitated back out upon like, oh, yeah, I get it, God. Okay, here you go. Peter is much luckier. He just has to sit up there for a while and let this vision come three times. Both groups of people that they go to are very receptive to the message. But there's a difference I'll get to in a little bit. So Luke is setting up Peter as kind of this Jonah scenario, and he's telling this story three times it happens. God says, what I say is clean is clean. You don't get to make that judgment. The people whom I choose to share my love with, I choose to share my love with. You don't get to make that judgment. Everything is in the sheet. All of my people are in that sheet. Whomever I send you to, to share my love with Peter, Jew or Gentile, share it. By the third time, I think Peter finally gets it, which is good because it was at that time. It was Cornelius's men have arrived. Like, hey, is there a guy named Peter here? And God goes, oh, hey, by the way, some people are downstairs are waiting for you. They're going to take you up to Caesarea to see a guy named Cornelius. Go with him. It's going to be okay. So Peter gets up. He goes downstairs. He's like, hey, I'm who you're looking for. Yeah, Cornelius, send us. He wants to hear what you have to tell him. Peter's like, great. We're going to go tomorrow. But first, come inside and stay with us tonight. What? A Jew would never have offered that for a Gentile. Hey, come on in. Have to do some sort of ritual cleaning at the end of the day when they leave. But so he comes in. They go up to Cornelius. 
He goes into Cornelius' house and he makes the statement, I, as a Jew, shouldn't even be in here. But I know God's at work and he shares with them the gospel message. And Cornelius becomes a believer that day and all these other Gentiles and the Holy Spirit descends upon them. and They begin speaking in tongues. And the Jews who have followed with Peter are like, oh my gosh, God gives the gift to them too. It is said that Cornelius is the first Gentile convert. The first Gentile who became a believer in Yeshua. There's also a church history that says that he is one of the very first bishops of the church, Cornelius. And it's all because Peter took away his prejudice. He got the message and said, hey, just because I think that person is unclean doesn't mean God does. If God calls me to go see them, I'm going to go see them. If God calls me to share my love, his love with them, I'm going to go share his love. I mean, think about how amazing this is because the Romans were oppressing the Jews. They're like the power and the Jews are like nothing. If you have these Roman officers show up at your door, someone as as famous as Peter, don't you think the people around the town are like, oh man, they're going to crucify him just like they did to Jesus. They're coming after him. Don't you think the other people in the house where Peter was were thinking the same thing? You can't go with them. They're going to kill you. And yet there he goes, just walking through town with these Roman officers. Going off. Because God shows him this vision. You know, for him, it made the point of clean and unclean with all these dietary laws and these food things and stuff like that. And, but for me, what I like to picture is who, who do I put in that sheet? Who is it? What group of people... What type of person, what maybe even person, do I think is unclean? Do I think is unworthy of hearing and feeling the love of Christ? Because you know, there are people. There are people that God lowers that sheet down. He's like, hey, you see them? I'm like, yes. I want you to go love them. But God did it. Who are you to call unclean what I have called clean? Who are you to pass judgment on who I sent my son to die for? Okay. Sorry. How often do we hold someone in that sheet and go, well, they're just not worthy. They're just unclean. For much of the history of the church, the larger church, we've put a lot of people in that sheet. And we've said, well, they're just not worthy. They're too bad. Surely the gospel message can't be meant for them. When I was a teacher, one of the things they taught us was to say, um, you're not a bad boy. You're just making bad choices to those kids that were making bad choices all the time. You know, and some of them you're like, no, you know, and I know that you're really a bad boy, you know, and the choices you're making are just what you got. Um, 
But you know, no, you're not a bad child. You're just making bad choices right now. And but in truth, really, that's I, I think where God comes from. As a father who sees his sons and daughters and some of us make bad choices a lot. And God says, oh, you're not a bad boy, Michael. You're just making bad choices right now. Stop it. I was reading Hosea uh, recently because periodically um, this whole summer of um, listening and for me, apparently prostitution has really gotten to me. And so I was reading Hosea, of course, because he was asked to God said, hey, go marry a prostitute. And uh, because, you know, um, what else would God say to him? If you've never read Hosea, it's been a while. Go read it again. It is a fantastically wonderful, um, wonderful book. But in Hosea 11, in Eugene Peterson's version, the message, there is this one verse that talks about how um, how God is once again going, gosh, I mean, I, I everything I pour out my love to you and you turn your back on me and you go and you date other gods. And it's a little bit more explicit than that. And then you you come back. Oh, we're really sorry. You come back to me. And he's like, you're, you're my child, my son. I've been, I'm the one who's been pulling you in the wagon. And right there, I just got this. Oh, this image that just burst in my head. And I just saw this, you know, those little red flyer wagons, you know, or they're, they're plastic now. The, um, and, and, you know, the, you just pull your little child in the wagon and you're just having that little walk and you see the birds and it's such a great sunny spring day and, and life is good and everything's great. And then all of a sudden your, your child is like, Ooh, look at those people over there. Hey, I'll be right back, dad. I'm going to go play with him. And you're like, Hey, it's not a good idea. They run off. And sure enough. They come back scraped and bruised and bleeding and snotting and it's just ugly and messy. And you're like, oh, I told you not to do that. That's all right. You clean them up. You put them back in the wagon. You start walking again. I just picture God doing this to us all the time. And, and, and all of a sudden we're like, ooh, look at that. We run off. Same thing happens. Crash and burn. And God's back there holding the wagon going, come on, get back in. Clean you up. Don't do it again. Start pulling the wagon again. There's this loving father who time after time, when you choose to run off and to play with the kids, it maybe make bad choices a lot. That God's like, get back in the wagon. I'm still pulling the wagon for you. I just love that image. No, no matter how many times I've, I've gone and I made those bad choices, that God's like, oh, man, that kind of disappoints me. I don't like that. Stop doing it. I still love you. Get back in the wagon. The thing about it is, when we put people in that sheet, we're not letting them in the wagon. When we put people in this category, well, they are ones who cannot receive the love of God. I think we miss what God really wants. Who are we to call unclean what God has called clean? Who are we to pass judgment on someone that Christ died for? Who is it that's in your sheet? Who is it that is that that blanket, that sheet drops down? You look over there and you see that group of people. What is it that differentiates themselves from you? Is it the color of their skin? The language that they speak? Or educational or economic level? 
their political affiliation, their religion, the fact that they're your in-laws. You can laugh at that one. That one was funny. And I said that joke with my in-laws in the room last service, so get over it. Who is it that you have placed in that sheet and said, they're not worthy? I challenge you to look at that. I challenge you to be open to the fact that God is maybe lowering a group of people or a person specifically that you know immediately who I am speaking of. And God is saying, love this person. But, but God, you, no, no, no. You told me. Who are you? To say what is clean or unclean. I challenged the last service. Um, I brought up the people of ISIS. If there is a group of people on this earth who God is very disappointed in their choices, it would be them. And that's not minimalizing the horrificness of who they are and what they do. But if we want to sit on this rooftop and we want to know what it is like to be in the presence of God and to see this sheet come down and to see these people in this sheet and God says, hey, go love them. But God, they're so contrary to everything you stand for. Who do you think made them? They've run a long way from my wagon. And all I want is for them to come back. I pray that none of you ever encounter or get to experience someone from an organization like that. But for some of us, the people that we put in that sheet are much, much closer to home. At some point, there's going to be a knock on your door. And those people, that type of person, that person is going to be there. And they're going to say, I need to hear something that you have to say. If we don't get on board with this vision now, we might not say it. May we all come to realize that the love that God has so freely offered us is not ours to hold, but to give away. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you have given us through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ.